Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of From the Lighthouse. I'm Stephanie and I'm here today with my co-host Michelle. Hi Michelle. Hi Stephanie. Um, And we're here today to talk about the Women's Prize. Um, So the Women's Prize, for those of you who don't know of it, is a prize that um, is run out of the UK and as the the name suggests, it is a prize about women's writing. It is only open to women. It is for the best women's writing in English over the past year or so. Um, So, Michelle, what do you know about the Women's Prize or what do you find interesting about it? Well, look, I love the fact that it's open to a woman of any nationality. Mm. Um, Although uh, the book does need to be written in English, translations um, aren't eligible Mm -hmm. and that's always an area of of contestation but you know for the, for the time being it's, it's it is what it is um and a full length novel the uh, ebooks are eligible mm. um not that i saw any on on that list and ebooks are a great unknown for me Michelle. yeah yeah me too i can't imagine um coming across a book um that way um but also the entries are put forward by uh quote established publishing houses mm. which you know is, is another I think element to sort of take into consideration when thinking through the types of books that get put forward yep. um, because there's so many fantastic independent um, sort of presses that one wonders are they eligible or are they not or how um, much kind of space even if they are eligible how much space do they have to kind of enter these forums yeah 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 because I, I think we do live in a time where those sorts of considerations need to be taken seriously and, and actually do need to to be sort of brought into the into the fray when talking about prizes because mm. prizes are not unproblematic. That doesn't right, mean that yeah. they shouldn't happen, but it does mean that the sort of critical discourse around mm. the sorts of entries that are brought forward, um, I think, should be sort of foregrounded as part and parcel mm. of that um, sort of prize uh, discussion, um, and particularly because uh, the prize itself is sponsored by, um, you know, sort of three pretty... <laughs> big companies, Bailey's, NatWest and Deloitte, which, you know, money um, is one of those um, non-negotiables mm. um, when we talk about literature today. so I quite like to enjoy Bailey's while I'm drinking. So it's a, <laughs> for it... me, it's a natural kind of marriage, you know. Um. <laughs> well, <laughs> Stephanie, are you getting a cup there? <laughs> no, Bailey's do Would not... you like one? <laughs> I would like, I love one. If Bailey's wants to sponsor me talking about books, then... You can catch me at stephanie.russo. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but I, I think once again, it, it's it's important to bring these things into the mix. Yeah, absolutely. Just because I think that transparency um, allows one to talk about the benefits but also the problems yeah. around um, these, these sorts of prizes. Um, yeah, but uh, nonetheless, uh, as any po- listener of our podcast will know, uh, you and I are not going to dispute a woman's prize. We are absolutely. We would love a world where it wasn't necessary to Absolutely. have a woman's prize. Like yes. There is no doubt in yep. the world that um, that is the, the the world that I think you and I are fighting for. Yep. Um, but but uh, it does not exist, it sadly. Doesn't, it doesn't exist. And so until it does, uh, you know, uh, hooray the women's prize. Absolutely. I'm not interested in, in, in having that conversation about why do we need a women's prize because it's self-evident why we do. Absolutely. And, and I mean, there have been some fantastic uh, judges in the past. I love the fact that Chakrabarti... Mm. Um, I would have loved to have taken more note of that that particular um, sort of women's prize, Laurie Penny, Mary mm. Beard. Uh, and last year, the winner was judged by Obama. 
Mm. Which, um, do you have any thoughts on that, Stephanie? I didn't know that. Oh, well, there, there you, you go. go. So, look. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so, so I'm really intrigued to see what um, this particular panel of judges, uh, it includes Katie Brand, Anita Anand, Catherine Meyer, Imogen Stubbs and Sarah Sands, will bring to the, the table. Yeah, well, I was listening to a discussion about the prize on the Guardian podcast, another podcast, and um, they were talking about how there's a lot of broadcasters and kind of actors and so forth, comedians on this on this um, judging panel, and would that feed into a kind of more populist winner rather than a kind of very heavily experimental reader? I don't know, but it's something that's interesting to think about how the kind of the precise iteration of judges feeds into the kinds of books that win and are likely to be promoted. Well, well, there's no doubt that a particular, um, you know, sort of, there's a sort of stamina that that are that are that are sort of a literary judge develops over, you know, sort of years and years and years of reading. Um, so, yeah, but at the same time, I I think that um, it 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 makes for a, a panel um, that's likely to be feisty mm. it's, it's it's likely to be a little bit um controversial and there's nothing there's so, nothing wrong with that we love a little bit of controversy here at, from yeah. the lighthouse yeah. um so we're going to talk through the the long list um because the long list was actually released on march the 8th which was international women's day and i should say here too that we are aware of the stella prize which is the australian kind of version of the women's prize but we wanted to give an australian book a little bit more attention so what we're going to do is we're going to wait until the Stella Prize um, winner is announced. So the shortlist was recently announced, but we're going to hold off, wait for the winner to be announced. Then Michelle and I have both committed to reading the winner, and we're going to come and give a whole hour of discussion on the winner of the Stella Prize, whatever that book shall be. So we're not ignoring Australian writing. We actually want to give Australian writing a bit more attention than we give to, to writing from other places. But today we're going to go through the long list, talk about the books that we've read, the books that we haven't read, as well as, you know, what we'd like to read and what we um, what we think might be snubbed, etc. Um, so I might kick that off. Um, the first novel on the list, we're going through them alphabetically, so we're not showing favouritism, although we will talk about which ones we particularly like. Um, the first novel on the list is called Happy um, by Nicola Barker, who is a very, very well-established novelist, I read somewhere that it's her 12th novel very experimental novel so here is the the blurb from the marketing materials um so imagine a perfect world where everything is known where everything is open where there can be no doubt no hatred no poverty no greed imagine a system which both nurtures and protects a community which nourishes and sustains an infinite world a world without sickness without death a world without god a world without fear could you might you be happy there Happy is a post-post-apocalyptic Alice in Wonderland, a story which tells itself and consumes itself. It's a place place where language glows, where words buzz and sparkle and finally implode. It's a novel which twists and writhes with all the terrifying precision of a tiny fish in an Escher lithograph. And a book where the mere telling of a story is the end of certainty. So, and this is the end of the marketing blurb, the novel won the Goldsmith Prize in 2017 for experimental fiction. It does sound very experimental to me. It, it absolutely does, and I'm. This is one that I've definitely earmarked for mm. the reading um, because it, it's it's always fascinating to see whether uh, authors sort of push past, um, you know, sort of surface experimentations to do something mm. that is genuinely sort of um, challenging and groundbreaking. So yeah, definitely Nicola Barker is on my mm. to read list. Yeah, it sounds. I mean, the line that kind of sold me is post 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 apocalyptic Alice in Wonderland. That sounds cool. And I'd, again, I'd like to see.
see, as you say, um, if it's experimental, you know, for the sake of being experimental or is it genuinely pushing at the kind of boundaries of what the novel can do. That always interests me. So, yeah, that's something I really, really want to read. Yeah, and, the, I mean, the next book on the list is The Idiot by Elif Batchimon. Mm-hmm. Um, what what do, do you know very much about this author? I have read this. Um, I had complicated feelings about it. Can I ask you to read the, the blurb yes, for our absolutely. listeners? Yes, absolutely. The year is 1995 and email is new. Selin, the daughter of Turkish immigrants, arrives for her freshman year at Harvard. She signs up for classes in subjects she has never heard of, befriends her charismatic and worldly Serbian classmate Svetlana, and almost by accident begins corresponding with Ivan, an older mathematics student from Hungary. Selin may have barely spoken to Ivan, but with each email they exchange, the act of writing seems to take on new and increasing mysterious meanings. At the end of the school year, Ivan goes to Budapest for the summer and Selin heads to the Hungarian countryside to teach English in a program run by Ivan's friends, one of Ivan's friends. On the way, she spends two weeks visiting Paris with Svetlana. Selin's summer in Europe does not resonate with anything she has previously heard about the typical experiences of American college students or indeed of any other kinds of people. For Celine, this is a journey further inside herself, a coming to grips with the ineffable and exhilarating confusion of first love and with the growing consciousness that she is doomed to become a writer. <laughs> I do love doomed to become a writer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a journey further inside herself. Mm. What, what were your thoughts? My, look, I found this a little bit dull. It's a little bit meandering. Um, it, it's very loose in terms of plot. It's obviously a novel that's not really about plot. It's got that kind of self-indulgence of early adulthood, like it sounds like a 19, 20-year-old being dramatic and awkward. Um, I didn't love it, I have to say. It's had a lot of critical praise, but for me it was just a little bit too baggy and not quite focused enough. I mean, it captures well that kind of awkwardness of like your first kind of post-high school adult experiences and so forth. But I found it a little bit pretentious and I found it a little bit self-indulgent. A lot of people though do love it. So I'm not sure if this is a, if this is a, um, case of it just not sitting with me as well as with other people. But it just, I didn't enjoy it as much as I thought I would. No, well, I mean, it's its that sort of buildings roman, isn't it? And, mm. and I guess it's its its one of those things, whether or not you sort of end up feeling that it's its, it's repeating mm. something that you, you may not want repeated. Yeah, I didn't <laughs> like, yeah, I didn't really like being in that awkward mind space <laughs> again. And um, yeah, it just sort of seemed to come to nothing for me in the end. So it left me a little bit lukewarm. But again, this has been something that has had a lot of critical love poured out. So I just don't know if I'm not the right reader of this novel or if the idea of, you know, revisiting one's 19-year-old awkward self is just something that has the connotations of horror for me or something. <laughs> or in my case, it's just so far <laughs> away. It's pretty far away for me too, don't worry. Um, so our next book on the list is Three Things About Elsie by Joanna Cannon. Um, So the marketing blurb says, 
There are three things you should know about Elsie. The first thing is that she's my best friend. The second is that she always knows what to say to make me feel better. The third thing might take a little bit more explaining. 84-year-old Florence has fallen in her flat at Cherry Tree Home for the Elderly. As she waits to be rescued, Florence wonders if a terrible secret from her past is about to come to light. And if the charming new resident is who he claims to be, why does he look exactly like a man who died 60 years ago? From the author of The Trouble with Goats and Sheep, this book will teach you three th- many things, but here are three of them. The fine threads of humanity will connect us all forever. There is so very much more to anyone than the worst thing they have ever done, and even the smallest life can leave the loudest echo. So have you read three things about Elsie, Michelle? No, I have not. Okay. No, no. Can I give you a warning here? Yes, please do, because time, you know, <laughs> if time I'm going to get through this yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I have to... I have to um, or, you know, I have to be expedient. That's um, right. Well, I have read The Trouble with Goats and Sheep, which is Joanna Cannon's first book, and I found it insufferably twee. Right. It was twee. so oh, very oh, twee. That's un- but that's an unusual. Is that an unusual thing to come across, or is no, it just unusual I mean, in the books that that we? Remember? Yeah, just, no. It was, it was, I haven't read. I can't remember the last time I read a twee book. Oh, it was, it was just very cutesy. It was like a quasi kind of mystery, but it was filtered through the consciousness of like two children and they were very kind of precocious and everything was like very cute and there was a lot of like focus on like British desserts you know what I mean and like tea drinking and desserts a bit of um you know sort of literary quiz culinary exploration if the if the the desserts if the desserts are good enough I I... (laughs) yeah I don't mind like and like that cozy kind of crime stuff but it was just it was just a bit too cutesy and it's I didn't find the writing particularly interesting or well developed. It was it was the kind of novel that like I feel like you could give to like your elderly neighbour who reads a book a year mm. but isn't quite what I would expect in I, a book that's been nominated for an award that sounds Brilliant, incredibly snobbish for me but like no, but I, I think that that's the, yeah. you know, the, 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 I I do think that the the, the sort of the, the literary prize is m- meant to serve a, a sort of a particular function hmm. um, because, it, it, let's face it, uh, sort of popular fiction gets a whole heap of other awards. Like you know, money. Cashola, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Cashola, yeah. fame, movie deals, yeah. all of those sorts of things. Um, so, yeah. If if the if the skill, if the if the sort of the original work, you know, sort of all of those sorts um, ingredients aren't there then why? Why, yeah. Well, I mean, look, I haven't read this book. It might be she's had a quantum leap in terms of ability and execution, I suppose. But, um, yeah, it doesn't really inspire me with too much um, enthusiasm to read it, I have to say. No. Well, the next um, novel on the list is Miss Burma by Charmaine Craig. Um, And the blurb for this one uh, is... A beautiful and poignant story of one family during the most violent and turbulent years of world history. Miss Burma is a powerful novel of love and war, colonialism and ethnicity, and the ties of blood. Miss Burma tells the story of modern-day Burma through the eyes of Benny and Kin, husband and wife, and their daughter Louisa. After attending school in Calcutta, Benny settles in Rangoon, then part of the British Empire, and falls in love with Kin, a woman who is part of a long-persecuted ethnic minority group, the Karen. World War II comes to Southeast Asia and Benny and Kin must go into hiding in the eastern part of the country during the Japanese occupation, beginning a journey that will lead them to change the country's history. After the war, the British authorities make a deal with the Burman national, nationalist led by Aung San, whose party gains control of the country. 
When Aung San is assassinated, his successor ignores the pleas for self-government of the Karen people and other ethnic groups, and in doing so, sets off what will become the longest-running civil war in recorded history. Benny and Kin's eldest child, Louisa, has a danger-filled, tempestuous childhood and reaches prominence as Burma's first beauty queen soon before the country falls to dictatorship. As Louisa navigates her newfound fame, she is forced to reckon with her family's past, the West's ongoing covert dealings in her country, and her own, her own loyalty to the cause of the current people. Based on the story of the author's mother and grandparents, Miss Burma is a captivating portrait of how modern Burma came to be and of the ordinary people swept up in the struggle for self-determination and freedom. It's so, a very long blurb. It, it is a long blurb. I feel like blurb. I've read the book. Um, yeah, uh, but but that said, uh, I mean, reading through then, I mean, one, one of the things that I, I think that particularly in, um, you know, sort of an English speaking context is, is sort of just being aware of how many of the hundreds of, of, of countries, nations around the world are effectively invisible mm. um, or, or just simply don't exist within a particular consciousness. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm running through what I know of Burma and I'm getting to the end of that list so quickly. Yeah, I was thinking about that too as you were reading. I'm like, I don't know much about Burma at all. No. Really? Um, and, and I wish, you know, I think this is actually one of the books that I, I have on my list to yeah. read, um, you know, particularly because I, I've heard, you know, and read sort of fantastic things about Charmaine Craig as a writer. Mm. Um, and I, I think that, uh, you know, sort of when you marry together, um, you know, sort of both, um, you know, sort of skill um, and, and, you know, sort of that gift of writing with a fantastic story, the, the combination is often um, dynamite. Yeah, no, I'd be interested to read this too because, as, as, you, as we were saying, I don't know much about Burma and it sounds really um, interesting and something that I'd like to know more about. And, and without necessarily – because, you know, it is that sort of thing where it becomes really fraught to talk about, you know, sort of learning through yeah. literature or imagining that because one picks up a book on Burma. And, that therefore, and, yeah, yeah. But at the same time, I, I, I think that you do a disservice when you also, for the same reason, refuse to talk about learning through literature. Yeah, that's right. Um, I mean, we do. Yeah, I mean, we, to be really stick we do learn about other places and other cultures through literature so it's kind of disingenuous to say that we don't yeah mm. and 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 i i think that it, there, there is a real um sort of problem when uh sort of it becomes impossible because it's so uh sort of politically incorrect to talk mm. about learning and being interested and you know sort of finding something mm. through reading a mm. book uh that uh, sort of people are afraid to mention it so you know yeah. for better or worse that's um yeah yeah, without it turning it into sort of a literary tourism, yeah. um, I, I do actually um, genuinely just want to know more. Yeah, me too. Oh, that's one for my list. All right, so our next book is Manhattan Beach by Jennifer Egan. So this is the long-awaited novel from the Pulitzer Prize-winning author of A Visit from the Goon Squad. Manhattan Beach opens in Brooklyn during the Great Depression. Anna Kerrigan, nearly 12 years old, accompanies her father to the house of a man who she gleans is crucial to the survival of her father and her family. Anna observes the uniformed servants, the lavishing of toys on the children and some secret pact between her father and Dexter Stiles. Years later, her father has disappeared and the country is at war. Anna works at the Brooklyn Navy Yard where women are allowed to hold jobs that had always belonged to men. 
She becomes the first female diver, the most dangerous and exclusive of occupations, repairing the ships that will help America win the war. She is the sole provider for her mother, a farm girl who had a brief and glamorous career as a Ziegfeld Folly, and her lovely, severely disabled sister. At a nightclub, she chances to meet Styles, the man she, vis- she visited with her father before he vanished, and she begins to understand the complexity of her father's life, the reasons he might have been murdered. Mesmerising, hauntingly beautiful, with a pace and atmosphere of a noir thriller and a wealth of detail about organised crime, the merchant marine, and the clash of classes in New York, Egan's first historical novel is a masterpiece, a deft, startling, intimate exploration of a transformative moment in the lives of women and men, America and the world. Manhattan Beach is a magnificent novel by one of the greatest writers of our time. Well, Stephanie, you've read this one. I have so read this one. What, what were your thoughts? It was fine. That sounds really, like, damning. Yeah. But it was, no, it was really well-written historical fiction. I really enjoyed it while I was reading it. Um, it's really detailed. It's really um, evocative of a particular period in time and, you know, the women working in the factories while the men were out, you know, fighting the war and so forth. It's compelling in parts I found parts more compelling than others but I found that I lost the plot as in I forgot the plot um very you know (laughs) we know that I've lost the plot years ago but um I I forgot the plot almost immediately after I shut the book right and I felt like the ending was a bit too pat and a bit too kind of you know tied in a bow Look, many's the book that I've thought I've not enjoyed, but then it has this incredible afterlife mm. where I come to love it over the years. Yeah. This is the opposite. Yeah. Yeah, yeah the afterlife of, of, of a mm. book is, is often, I think, um, its ultimate mark. And if it's, if, if, yeah. if, if you are forgetting it at this, yeah, no. <laughs> at this point. No, um, I read it last year and I have completely almost forgotten parts of it. Um yeah, I just feel like it was fine. It was really it was well written historical fiction, but nothing new, nothing kind of you know that makes your shocks go up and down. Um, and it was just enjoyable in the moment. But I I think that the the argument that it is a masterpiece is very much overblown. Well, look, there's a tendency to throw that masterpiece word around, yeah. and I mean, apart from its gendered origins, you know, um, I, I I think that there are other uh, other problems with with using mm. it um, sort of so so often. Um, I, I think I still give that one a read. I, I like mm. a good noir thriller. <laughs> it's um, a, and, I wouldn't and also, necessarily say it's a noir thriller, but go on. Yeah, just because um, yeah. I, I I would uh, be interested to yeah. see. Um, what 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 goes on, um, and then we can talk about whether I found it as like, as, as, as imminently forgettable as, yeah, as, yeah. as, well, as, as you did. You'll have to carry the conversation because what I remember is like diving. Diving clubs. would stick in one's mind. I, I yeah, imagine. but like there was lots of like complex descriptions of diving, and like I don't really care that much about diving. <laughs> so um, yeah, that that might have turned me off. Yeah, look, um, well, no, I think with that, perhaps we'll move on to yeah. The Mermaid and Mrs. Hancock by Imogen Hammers Goar. I hope I've said that right. Um, one September evening in 1785, the merchant Jonah Hancock, he is urgent knocking on his front door. One of his captains is waiting eagerly on the step. He has stole Jonah's ship for what appears to be a mermaid. As gossip spreads through the docks, coffee shops, parlours and brothels, everyone wants to see Mr Hancock's marvel. It arri- its arrival spins him out of his ordinary existence 
and through the doors of high society. At an opulent party, he makes the acquaintance of Angelica Neal, the most desirable woman he has ever laid eyes on, and a courtesan of great accomplishment. This meeting will steer both their lives into a dangerous new course on which they will learn the priceless, that priceless things come at the greatest cost. Where will their ambitions lead, and will they be able to escape the destructive power mermaids are said to possess. In this spellbinding story of curiosity and obsession, Imogen Hermes Gower has created an <laughs> unforgettable jewel of a novel filled to the brim with intelligence, heart and wit. So how are you finding this one? I am halfway through this book. I am reading it at the moment. It is in my handbag as we speak. I am loving it. I love it. Um, it is, first of all, it helps that it is late 18th century setting and that is the period of time on which I work so it is like very familiar to me um, and, and she's and, obviously and, and done her yeah, research say, yep. she's convinced you yeah um, she's convinced me she, she's done her research she um, embodies that time I think particularly well um, it's again it's almost a conventionally told historical fiction but the writing is clever um, it, the characters are well drawn. It's a really compelling story. There's a little bit of um, not kind of it's not really magical realism, but the the figure of the mermaid as a kind of myth and legend, you know, um, is intertwined throughout the novel. I love the scenes at um, between the the courtesans um, because half of the novel is set at least so far um, in this really high class brothel, um, and the, the conversations that the courtesans have are really funny and really well drawn um yeah i'm really enjoying this um i can't wait to get back in reading it tonight oh stephanie i think i might have to <laughs> ask if i can borrow surely surely yeah finished um that sounds like something to look forward to yes no our next book is sight by jesse greengrass so it seemed at times an act of profound selfishness to have a child so that i might become a parent but selfish too to have a child and stay the same or not to have one unless the only honest choice would have been to become this kind of this kind of version of myself without the need to bring another into it Sight is about x-ray psychoanalysis and the origins of modern surgery. It is about being a parent and being a child. Fiercely intelligent, brilliantly written and suffused with something close to forgiveness, it is a novel about how we see others and how we imagine ourselves. I have heard rave reviews about this on the interwebs. I have not read it myself. Well, it sounds like one that we need to get hold of. In fact, I shall. Is it available? Yet? I don't know if it's available in Australia. I've never seen it in the shops, but hopefully it will be soon. These things like Perhaps. the listing of it on the Women's Prize sometimes tends to speed the publication process um, around the, the world. So I hope that this is readily obtainable soon. Yeah, I love that. Um, I, I love the promise of that, you know, sort of a, a really sort of profound interrogation of, of sight um, in, in sort of... I guess brought into relations of of, of, of parenting and um, mm, yeah. you know it it it, it 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 sounds fascinating. Yeah, this um, is one that leapt up for me as, as something that's really um, interesting. I think. Yeah, look, I I, I think um, I shall endeavour to get hold of that book. You um, do that, Michelle, yeah. and then you can lend it to and me. And then I'll, I'll pass that on to you. <laughs> um, so Eleanor Oliphant is Completely Fine by Gail Honeyman is the next on our list. Um, now, here is its blurb. Um, meet Eleanor Oliphant. She struggles with appropriate social skills and tends to say exactly what she's thinking. 
nothing is missing in her carefully timetabled life of avoiding social interactions where weekends are punctuated by frozen pizza, vodka and phone chats with mummy. But everything changes when Eleanor meets Raymond, the bumbling and deeply unhygienic IT guy from her office. When she and Raymond together save Sammy, an elderly gentleman who has fallen on the sidewalk, the three become the kinds of friends who rescue one another from the lives of isolation they have each been living. And it is Raymond's big heart that will ultimately help Eleanor find the way to repair her own profoundly damaged one. Soon to be a major motion picture produced by Reese Witherspoon, Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine. It's a smart, warm and uplifting story of an out-of-the-ordinary heroine whose deadpan weirdness and unconscious wit make for an irresistible journey as she realises ellipsis dot. <laughs> Very Germanic. The only way to survive is to open your heart. That kind of makes me roll my eyes. The only way to survive is to open your heart. It's like, yeah, whatever. It's a cliche. It's such a cliche. It's a cliche. But I have heard, I have to say, even though that blurb makes me think that this book would be, again, insufferably twee, I have heard good things about it, and it did win the Costa Debut Novel of the Year. Look, you can't actually judge a book by its blurb because the blurb may not have been written by the author. That's right. The, the, the blurb, <laughs> so, and the blurb so, wasn't written by the author. It was written by a market. Like all blurbs are written by marketing people in the in the publishing company. And I think that, that this blurb writer is making it sound really lame. Really lame. I mean, even yeah. just the heroine sort of made me pause in a sense. And you know, it just it just it just seems like a a, a blurb that may have been written from times past. Yeah, the the smart, warm and uplifting story. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But but again, like everybody that I've seen that has read this has been like this is really it funny is a, and it is it's a good. smart, warm uplifting story. Yeah, yeah. Well maybe yeah. Um, maybe they just need to like hire a better blurb writer. Possibly. Yeah, anyway, I am planning to read this because I do like a difficult heroine and like I, I just love the idea of an unhygienic which is I find it so difficult to read unhygienic characters. Um, you know, just I'm just thinking, you know, sort of both the historical yeah. characters because you know there's lots of those. Oh yes, just, you know, just turn your toes. Yeah, and then um, I, I think I'm thinking of Eileen uh, um, Atassa. Yeah, yeah, Moshveg's book where she was a deeply unhygienic. I loved that book, and and um, yeah, that that um, it's 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 a very powerful figure. Well, what what um drew me to this is the weekends punctuated by frozen pizza and vodka. I'm like, that doesn't sound bad. Anyway, I'm sounding like an alcoholic. This is the second time I've talked about alcohol in this episode. I'm not going to talk about alcohol again. How about that? (laughs) Well, not unless it results in some form of, um, you know, sort of sponsorship. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, (laughs) it's all about this sponsorship in there. All right, so we might move on because we're running out of time, but we've got next When I Hit You or A Portrait of the Writer as a Young Wife by Mina Kandasamy. I think that's how you say it. So, seduced by politics and poetry, the unnamed narrator falls in love with the university professor and agrees to be his wife. But what for her is a contract of love is for him a contract of ownership. As he sets about reducing her to his idolised version of a kept woman, bullying her out of her life as an academic and writer in the process, she attempts to push back, a resistance he resolves to break with violence and rape. Smart, fierce and courageous, when I hit you is a dissection of what love meant, means and will come to mean when trust is undermined by violence. A brilliant, throat-tightening feminist discourse on battered faces and bruised male egos and a scathing portrait of traditional wedlock in modern India. Well, what do you think? Have you read this one? I have not read this one. I want to read this one because I heard, um, again, I was listening to the Guardian podcast this morning and um, they were talking about this writer 
um, she's a poet and she's very polemical, very feminist, very kind of, you know, radical. Um, and that makes me want to read it. Yeah, and I mean already you can you you can see um, the uh, the James Joyce hmm. you know you can see um, so very much already in that in 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 the plot um, because domestic violence is hmm. you know sort of a scourge of of um, you know contemporary society hmm. um, and it's 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 not an over there problem it's a right here problem yeah that's right so I, th- I think that looks like a it looks like a, a, a book to read. Who, which one of us buys it? We shall have to discuss after the <laughs> um, after the podcast. I will. I will hop, skip, in and jump over to the bookshop and have a look. Uh, <laughs> so, shall we move on to yes, Elmet yes. um, by Fiona Mosley, which we've spoken about in past yes, um, podcasts? Yes. Um, and so, just a very quick blurb here: Daniel is heading north. He is looking for someone. The simplicity of his early life with Daddy and Kathy has turned sour and fearful. They lived apart in the house that Daddy built. For them with his bare hands. They foraged and hunted. When they were younger, Daniel and Kathy had gone to school, but they were not like other children then, and they were even less like them now. Sometimes Daddy disappeared and would return with a rage in his eyes, but when he was at home, he was at peace. He told them that the little copse in Elmet was theirs alone, but that wasn't true. Local men, greedy and watchful, began to circle like vultures, all the while the terrible violence in Daddy grew. Atmospheric and unsettling, Elmet is a lyrical commentary on contemporary society in one family's precarious place in it, as well as an exploration of how deep the bond between father and child can go. So I read this for the booker. I can't remember if you did as well. No. no. Um, I really enjoyed this. I thought it was a really atmospheric, well-done story. Um, it, the author is a medieval scholar, and even though it's a contemporary novel, you can see her thinking through the ways in which the landscape is still still tethered into that very kind of feudal, very kind of um, um, almost clan-based kind of system. So it's almost subversive on, on, on that level, really, isn't it? Yeah, you know, yeah. In, in sort of a modern capitalist society with property and, and all yeah. those sorts of things. So um... Yeah, no, I thought it was really I thought it was really interesting and well done. I found the characters really well drawn. The writing was very strong. It was intelligent. Um, I really enjoyed um, the experience of reading it, even though it is quite a heavy kind of book in terms of um, subject matter, um, and it just when I was reading it, the kind of overwhelming um, feeling I got from it is that this is a writer of great intellect mm. who is in control of her material. Right, and I can't remember. Did that end up? The it was on the short list, but obviously didn't win. No, yeah, no, yeah, but it, it got it yeah, got shortlisted. It was a long list. Yeah. Okay, so the next book is The Ministry of Utmost Happiness by Amdati yep. Roy. I'm not going to read the entire um, blurb because it's incredibly long. Um, so I'm just going to read part of the blurb. Um, so the Ministry of Utmost Happiness takes on a journey of many years, the story spooling onwards, outwards from the cramped neighbourhoods of Old Delhi into the burgeoning new metropolis and beyond to the Valley of Kashmir and the forests of central India, where war is peace and peace is war, and where from time to time normalcy is declared. Um, I think that's where we'll leave it because it goes on and on and on. I haven't read this. I had a really big problem getting through The God of Small Things, so I'm, that doesn't make me want to read it. Yeah, <laughs> look, I, I know because that that was a similar sort of experience. But I, I think r- sort of retrospectively, because I, we I thought about this as well for the the, the booker. Mm. Yes, because um, it was nominated. Book yeah, yeah. Um, I, I I want I want to read this one because I I think sometimes the book that doesn't fit 
um, you know, sort of the the the, the form um, is that we're sort of wanting from it is is sometimes the book that needs to be read. So, mm. and just because I've heard so much criticism of it, I think is is you know sort of as as, yeah. as times unfold that I'm actually more invested in going back and, and reading um, just to, just to see for for myself. Um, so moving on to mm-hmm. um, see what I have done by Sarah Schmidt. Um, which... This is an Australian novel, by the way. Woo. Oh, that's yeah. um, that that that's marvelous, and and I believe you've read it. So mm-hmm. perhaps you just like to give us a quick sort of rundown on it, seeing as time is, is time is running and, out, and, so and we may not be able to read yeah. all of the blurb. But um, it is a retelling of the Lizzie Borden case. So this is a case from the late eighteen nineties. Um, or the late 19th century, rather. Um, and it is about um, Lizzie Borden, who allegedly or was tried for killing her father, stepmother, and, yeah, that's it, the, her father and stepmother. Um, she, it ha- takes place in Fall River in Massachusetts. Um, so this novel is about, mostly focalised through Lizzie herself, but also focalised through um, a variety of characters that are around around her it's a very interesting book in terms of the way um in which lizzie is represented i mean it's it's she was eventually acquitted of the murder there's a kind of open question whether she actually did murder her um her father and, and stepmother she took an axe is the is the way the um the, the nursery rhyme goes lizzie warden took an axe and gave her her father 40 wax mm-hmm. um and yeah <laughs> yeah so it was it was quite fun to read I really enjoyed it I think I, it sort of piddled out at the end I felt like I didn't and not that I wanted like the author to come in and kind of make a grand, grand pronouncement on the case because obviously that's not what this book is about but I just felt like it didn't really um end in a satisfying way but I I did quite enjoy it um I think that kind of moment in history is interesting and the idea of the female serial killer or the female, not serial killer, but the female murderer is, is interesting and the way she explores her psyche and why what would tempt somebody to do this is really interesting. So, yeah, I, I enjoyed also, it. I guess we're seeing parallels with mm. the Atwood. As well, yeah, it we? is a little bit like Alias Grace. It's very different in ways, but, um, I mean, that kind of historical setting plus murder. Yeah. yeah, and it would be difficult to write without some awareness of, yeah, that's of right. Atwood. So yeah. Yeah. Um, the degree to which you bounce off that. Um, so moving on, A Boy in Winter by Rachel Seifert. I hope that's how you say it. Um, Otto Pohl, an engineer overseeing construction of a German road in the in Ukraine, awakens to the unexpected sight of SS men herding hundreds of Jews into an old brick factory. Um, inside the factory, Ephraim anxiously scans the growing crowd looking for his two sons. As questions swirl around him, where are they taking us? How long will we be gone? He can't quell the suspicion, suspicion that it would be just like his oldest son to hold himself up somewhere instead of lining up for the Germans, and just like his youngest to follows uh, to follow. Um, so, any thoughts about that one? Or heard I anything? haven't. You know, I hadn't even heard of this book before it was long listed. Um, I. It sounds quite interesting um, I'm not sure if it's available in Australia yet if it is I'll probably pick it up um, another Holocaust book um, I don't know how quite how I feel about that at the you know as it's not that I wouldn't read it because it's about the Holocaust but I just feel like I've read so many and I don't know if I'm willing to enter that kind of horrible space again um, 
But yeah, but also as historical context, you know, changes. Yeah, um, that's true. Holocaust, you know, sort of the yes. publishing of Holocaust um, sort of stories also change. And Th- so that is true, yes. That's also another thing to very much sort of be aware of and whether or not this author is aware of it too. Yeah. Um, because I don't know that it, you can tell this sort yeah. of uncomplicated Holocaust stories. No, no, um, absolutely. We'll see. Yeah. We'll yeah. have to come back to that one. Um, Home Fire by Camilla Shamsi. We both read that. Um, we both book, read that, yeah. Prize. We, we yep. both read that for the Booker Prize and we quite extensively discussed it for the Booker Prize, so we're not going to spend too much more time on it. Um, we both didn't like it. No, we, we didn't. And, and I, I think um, upon reflection, because I, I, you know, we do go back and, and contemplate the books, um, you know, I think there were, for us there were problems on, on plot, but, but also mm. on the level of, of, of language and character. Yes. Where I, even though I could sort of um, conceive of the, 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 the theatrical st- structure underpinning it um, and, you know, sort of the, the, the figure of... Um, you know, sort of the God and the machine coming down at the end because the end does sort of require you to accept that mm. um, that that sort of idea. Um, I, I think, yeah, there were there were just in in terms of the imagining of the the, the sort of the transformation of a character into a sort of a, 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 into a terrorist. Um, I, I think I, I don't know that I felt that it was. Um, I, I don't know that I felt that it was complexly enough considered, and and, and mm. it, it it felt too much aligned to what's already um, sort of out there in the, um, you know, sort of the ordinary discourses around, Mm. um, you know, sort of that transformation process. So, I mean, that's what you go to the news for. Yeah, that's exactly how I felt. And I felt like the ending was a bit over the top and melodramatic and just didn't, I don't know, just one of those books that just didn't work for me on any level. But mm. I think we're the, we're the fish that swim alone on this one because I have seen rave yeah, reviews know, about I this, know, but I both know. of us had the same reaction. Yeah, and, and look, as I say, for me it was just that I, I didn't feel that I that there was any insight that I gained from mm. that book. Yeah, neither did and, I. And mm. so without the insight, I, I can't, I, you know, I, I don't, go to literature to hear repeated what's already being said. Yeah, it's yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what did you get out of it? Yeah. 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 Um and yeah, simply sort of tying it to a myth um and a dramatic mm. you know sort of um you know it, it it wasn't enough for me. The next book is A Trick to Time by Kit Devall. Wall 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 I'm not sure. You. Um so the I'm just going to read quickly the the first part of the blurb. Mona is a doll maker. She crafts beautiful handmade wooden dolls in her workshop in a sleepy seaside town. Every doll is special, every doll has a name, and every doll has a hidden meaning from a past Mona has never has never accepted. Each new doll takes Mona back to a different time entirely. And blah blah blah. I don't know, this kind of sounds a little bit twee again to me. What do you think? Well, I, I don't know. I have ambivalent feelings around dolls, so that's going to... Because dolls are creepy? Well, I look, yes, there there is. I, I'm I'm not one. To, I was always disturbed by my friends who had a lot of dolls on their beds. I don't know why. So, I have a lot of Barbies. It's not well, on my bed. It, well, look, you, you know, there's a, there's a world of difference between soft toys on your bed and dolls on your bed. And you know, yeah. my friends in childhood were often, you know, sort of chosen based on <laughs> I feel like you wouldn't have liked me in childhood Michelle I had a lot of Barbies Barbies don't count you know they tend to go in boxes and you know they don't yeah. you didn't stack them on your bed did you no I didn't no, stack them on. I used them to, right. to it's, I, it's the no, dolls you know what on I, the bed you know it's what I did on the bed. this is very literary I used them to act out scenes from my favourite books oh, well, wasn't I a great child 
Yeah, we, we, we couldn't, um, we, we can't uh, sort of ignore um, the buxom Barbie. And um, <laughs> I don't know, like, I, I don't think even as a child I could ignore the buxomness <laughs> of Barbie. Um, but, but that's perhaps. Yeah, so we have ambivalent feelings about this one. I don't, yeah, yeah I don't know anything about go. the novelist. Um, if, I'd if give it a go. It, I'll read yeah. it. Um, and, and really, I'm being a little bit trite in, in, in and I am being facetious too um, yes yeah so apologies but we have been through 15 yes the longest, so. we have been through and we don't <laughs> you know, know anything really about this no, so we're just no, we're just no. being silly um so the next one is Sing Unburied Sing by Jasmine Ward did you want to yeah. um, read part yeah, of the absolutely this, this actually sounds like one that I'd like to read um mm-hmm. an intimate portrait of a family and an epic tale of hope and struggle Sing Unburied Sing examines the ugly truths at the heart of the American story and the power and limitations of family bonds Jojo is 13 years old and trying to understand what it means to be a man. His mother, Leonie, is in constant conflict with herself and those around her. She is black and her children's father is white, embattled in ways that reflect the brutal reality of her circumstances. She wants to be a better mother but can't put her children above her own needs, especially her drug use. When the children's father is released from prison, Leonie packs her kids and a friend into her car and drives north to the heart of Mississippi and Parchment Farm, the state penitentiary. At Parchment, there is another boy, the ghost of a dead inmate who carries all of the ugly history of the South with him in his wandering. He too has something to teach Jojo about fathers and sons, about legacies, about violence, about love. What do you think? You've read that one. I have read that one. I thought it was great. This is really, really good. Um, I it was it won the um, National Book Award in America um, at the end of last year. It's really well written. It's really incisive. It has a lot to say about race relations in America, which is obviously a conversation that's very much of the moment. Um, Jasmine Ward is a great writer. Um, it's there's a kind of ghost element that is almost a bit like Lincoln and the Bardo, but very differently handled. Um, yeah, really great. I enjoyed every bit of this book. It's very, very um, bleak. The, the circumstances in which the characters live is very bleak, but um, you know that should be no barrier to reading it because it is it is very much a reflection on what people's lives are like um, in various places in America. And it was clever and incisive. I found it really, really enjoyable. Well, I think I'd like to borrow that one, yes, if, if I may. Yes, um, and 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 also I think in the ones that we're sort of um, asking to read, to borrow, read, purchase, etc., mm. um, we're probably hinting towards the, the the what we'd like to see on on the shortlist. Yes, yes, um, I mean definitely. Annou- when is that the shortlist? In is announced in April. I can't remember the exact date. Maybe the twenty third, but mm. I might be making that up. Um, and then the winner is announced in June. So okay. we might we might revisit reconvene. Yeah, and we do have uh, Easter, so that's a, always an excellent opportunity for plenty of reading. Easter is a great time for reading. Yep, 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 mm. yep. Plenty, plenty of time to get yes. through those books. Yeah. So, are there any snubs that you can think of that you would have liked to have Look, seen on this not list? Not off the top of my head, Stephanie. Mm. Especially not after um, you know <laughs> the sixteen. I I feel like um, you feel like it's well covered. Yeah, I think yep. there's too many books. Sixteen is too many for a long list. I think I would have liked to see in a twelve and then a six. Mm. You know, as a short list, sixteen is a bit too unwieldy. Um, I was surprised not to see Sally Rooney's conversations with friends not there, which is an Irish novel um, about um, two girls and they're kind of. Um, 
hijinks that they get up to, which was a very clever book. Um, I really enjoyed it. And I was surprised not to see the new Ali Smith, mm, Winter. Yeah, no, that's right. That's right. Yeah, Winter. Yeah. Um, we love. We both loved yep, Autumn. Yep, yep, yep. Oh, well, I've read Winter. <gasps> You're so, yeah, well. It's excellent. In fact, it may even be better than Autumn. And yet it's not on this list. And le- it's not on the list. Maybe it'll be on the booker. Maybe I can bully you to read it when it turns up on you the You don't book. have to bully it. I, I, oh, yeah. you, you just, You're already on board? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, pass it over. Hand okay. it over, Stephanie. <laughs> it's, it, it's, in my, it's in my cupboard at work, so we just have to wander up the, the aisle and we will get it. All right. So thank you for that, Michelle. That was a long 16 books, but some really great titles in there as well as um, some, you know, ones that we may not be as enthused by. Which uh, never judge a book by never its judge a book or its cover. Or by its yeah, author's previous important novels. Important to finish on a, on a moralizing yes. note. I would never judge a book without reading it. Well, but, I, that is not true. I just have. But it was very unfair of me was, and was, I shall read them. Yes, It was likely done. It was likely done. Um, so thanks again to Michelle and we will see you again, dear listeners, uh, next week. If you could please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, that would be very, very useful and send any suggestions or ideas for um, for future episodes or if you really want to take umbrage at our um our opinions about books then you know do that um and we won't be offended all right see you guys next week bye